0: morning everybody Um, we have been going through mark in reverse some of you doubt it some of you were like why would we go through a book of the Bible backwards in your hearts and today is the day where you learn why we went through the book of the Bible backwards Um, this passage this morning mark 1 um, starts a mysterious plot of Jesus's life that uh, wanders around and ends in Jesus's death and resurrection And this whole time, what has been the point of Mark telling this plot of Jesus' life? Uh, Most scholars agree that the main theme and purpose of Mark is this, is to to present and justify Jesus' universal call to discipleship. To present and justify Jesus' universal call to discipleship. Now why would Mark want to do that? In 2015, ISIS released a video of 21... Coptic Christian young men, many younger than me, in orange jumpsuits on a beach with knives on their throats, kneeling before ISIS men. The leader in this video reads a list of grievances against the Christian church, against North America, against Rome, and then proceeds to order in unison the men to kill these 21 young Christians who were innocent and who also refused to deny Jesus even to the point of death. This video uh, was posted online and shocked the world, Uh, and for many Western Christians, um, it was shocking. And one writer said that seeing the video was like waking up from an illusory dream, where good versus evil exists in the world, and both sides, both good and evil, are totally uncompromising in their convictions. It's people like these 21 young Coptic Christian men in orange jumpsuits These are the people that Mark is writing to, people who to follow Jesus means walking out on a beach like that with knives to your throat, and it means certain death. Mark's audience were Christians under the persecution of Emperor Nero. Uh, Nero was an emperor who, as a political survival move, blamed Christians for a fire that had swept through Rome and destroyed a lot of the city. Um, And so uh, he rounded up everybody that that claimed Christ and uh, used some as human torches to light up the city at night, um, fed some to lions in arenas, uh, beheaded some, crucified others. It was under his persecution that Peter and Paul were both killed. Mark writes at this same time to these Christians, presenting and justifying Jesus' universal call to discipleship to people who either were disciples or were thinking about being disciples and wondering, is it worth it? if it means for me brutal death. Now you might be thinking, thank God I won't have to face a decision like that. I live in America, land of the free, baby. Um, It's a great place. Uh, And Jesus actually says in Mark um, that we all face this decision every day of our lives. Every choice, every, every time we come into a place, he says there's two forks, there's a fork in the road, there's two paths you can take. One path, He says, is to take up your cross, a torture device for criminals. And this fun side, uh, you deny your pleasure, deny your accruement of money, deny your reputation, your comfort, your safety, your dreams, your very life. Take up your cross, or as I've heard put it by another pastor, take up your couch. Uh, Sink into your pleasure, your safety, your comfort, your reputation. To deny yourself or treat yourself. To lose your life now and save it for eternity? Or to save your life now and lose it for eternity and face the judgment of God? And Jesus says to follow him for every one of us. To obey any of his commands means taking this road of death. Mark writes to say that Jesus calls every one of you to that road. And here's why you should take it. Pretty hard task he's got. We look now at the beginning of his book in this passage this morning, chapter 1. And he gives three reasons of why you should follow Jesus to death. First reason, the substitution of the son. Second, the service of a warrior. And three, the summons of a king. Substitution of a son, the service of a warrior, and the summons of a king. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that is so averse to denying ourselves of anything. Um, and we in our lives are constantly tempted to save our life now and, and forget you, forget your commands. Um, Lord, we, with these daily deaths that you call us to die, um, we're scared. We don't want to often. Um, we need your wisdom and your strength to follow you toward, down that path. And so, Lord, this morning, would you give us those things? Be with us. Teach us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first point, the substitution of the Son. Look at me in verse 9 here. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So right before we get to this passage at the very beginning of Mark, John the Baptist is preparing the people for the, for the Lord. He says he's preparing the way of the Lord. Uh, he says that someone's coming. I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals, meaning I'm not even worried of being his most menial servant who would touch his dirty feet. And so he says, repent now. Be baptized to repentance because he is coming. And when he gets here, you need to be ready. So you're left wondering who is this this Lord this person gonna be and then Jesus of Nazareth shows up and interestingly gets baptized by John in the Jordan which we'll come back to in a second but when he comes up out of the water the fulfillment of an old scripture Isaiah 64 happens Isaiah prayed to God oh that you would rend the heavens and come down that mountains might quake at your presence to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence In this moment, the heavens are rended open. God comes down, and what does he do? He puts his spirit on Jesus. It reminds you, if you've read the Old Testament, there's there's passages where God's spirit rushes on somebody, and God says, I'm with you. It's always in conjunction with some task or a mission that the person has to do. And the spirit comes as a form of equipping, and God's basically saying, it will be done because I'm with you. I will make it happen. Don't be afraid. And so in this moment, Jesus is equipped for some mission. And then the voice of God from the sky saying, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And this for the Israelites in this moment, people reading Mark, their categories are exploding. This is the child of God, the begotten of God himself, who also is somehow, John the Baptist said, would be the Lord himself which Christians wrestled with for centuries uh, and came up with the idea of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. And the Father here is well pleased with the Son. That means Jesus of Nazareth must be a sinless man, sinless human being, which is confusing again because he just did a baptism of repentance. In other words, John, the guy John was preparing us for, was just prepared himself. He's baptized by John. How does that make any sense? Well, because we started with the end of Mark, we know how this makes sense. Mark 1 raises a question for, for the early audience that the rest of Mark answers for them. Jesus here is acting as a representative, a substitute of the people by undergoing a baptism of repentance on our behalf, even though he had no sins to repent of. And then later we saw he undergoes, as our substitute, the punishment and judgment of God. He endures torture and hell that we deserve. And this is why John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the mission this righteous son is prepared for is that exactly. Is his substitution on our behalf. And he does all this so that your sins will be taken away, that you might have forgiveness, that his record will be given to you, and your bad record be put on him. Paul summarizes it with this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And all that begins right here in Mark 1, with Jesus undergoing a baptism of repentance as a sinless man. So how does all this connect with the question of why should I follow this Jesus down a road that leads to suffering and death for me? John John the Baptist would say this. Um, He would say, why should you follow those orange jumpsuits who just walked out on that beach to get killed by ISIS men? He said, you're already in an orange jumpsuit right now. You live your entire life on that beach waiting to be killed. You are being convicted of so many crimes that even a lawyer like John Sink can't argue your way out of that. And you will face death. But here in Mark 1, at your trial, Jesus shows up in an orange jumpsuit with your name on it. And at the end of Mark, Jesus sits down in your electric chair. And they turn it all the way up until he's fried to smithereens. And three days later, he gets out of that chair. He says, your record is clean. I've added my accomplishments to it. And even though you die, you will live. This is the substitution of the son, which begins right here in Mark 1. So why should you 2,000 years later follow this guy to your own death? Why should you die daily death to yourself? Mark says, first, have you done bad things in your life? Do you want your slate before the ultimate judge wiped clean? Do you want God to look at you and say this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased? Do you want death to not have the final word in your life? Do you want to live forever? Mark says Jesus offers you this exactly, nothing less. So let him be your substitute. Whether it's for the first time today or the thousandth time, take your sin to him, follow him to death, obey him because he's the only one who knows the way out. So that's the substitution of the son. Second, we have the, the service of a warrior. Look with me in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels are ministering to him. So this is the shortest account of Jesus' temptation of any gospel. And Mark's main point is that the substitution of Jesus continues. The Spirit immediately drives him out into the wilderness like Adam was in the beginning, like Israel was for 40 years in the wilderness and the powers of darkness are attacking him. He's being tempted directly by Satan. He's surrounded with dangerous animals on every, on every side. But unlike Adam, unlike Israel in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, Jesus never for a second gives in. In other gospels, Satan tempts Jesus exactly where Israel was tempted. To reject God's provision, to test God, to worship false gods. Satan even uses scripture to do this tempting, but Jesus is too wise. He's too powerful. He's too faithful. He parries, he counterattacks, angels are protecting him on every side. And he wins, gets a victory in every spot where Israel failed. It reminds you me of David in the story of Goliath, who when the Philistines were threatened, threatening to attack Israel, threatening to invade, and Goliath is taunting Israel to their faces Uh, and taunting god david steps out and says one of the more epic lines of scripture i will give your dead body to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a god in israel and that all this assembly may know that the lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the lord's and he will give you into our hand and what does david do he buries a stone into goliath's forehead with a slingshot cuts his head off and the philistines run away And all of Israel gets the victory because of one man's bravery and faithfulness alone. Often you hear it preached like we're supposed to be David. And you need to face your Goliath. But in reality, we're Israel on the sidelines watching. And Jesus is the greater David fighting the one that we're all too afraid to fight. And in this battle here in the wilderness, Jesus buries stone after stone into Satan's head. And we get the victory as a result. And he continues fighting all through Mark. We saw lots of passages where Jesus, is, Jesus faces, faces down demons, even thousands of demons. And what do the demons do? They recognize Jesus and they shudder. They're terrified. They say, get away from us. What do you have to do with us, O Holy One of God? And Jesus defeats these demons. And what happens after that is the possessed person gets the victory. They get restored to their right mind. Someone they couldn't slay themselves. Jesus does the slaying. For them, And so why should we follow the service of this warrior into a battle against, for Mark's audience, lions, against fire, against the emperor himself, against death? Mark says Jesus is the only one of us who can win. And he did win. We have seen the ending of the book, this warrior pulling such a diversion. Succumbing to death, making Satan think he had the victory. Then throwing off the change, rolling the stone away. Slipping a dagger into Satan's heart in the moment he was gloating over his victory. Jesus defeated the power of sin and took the sting out of death and did it on our behalf. And so Mark's saying, you're going to war, yes, you're going to death, yes, but you follow the pattern and strategy of a great warrior and you're going to win. You follow Achilles, you follow Leonidas, you follow a combination of Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas. You follow the greatest warrior the world will ever see, and the battle is already his. So don't be afraid to go to death and follow his pattern, because you go to win. That is the service of a warrior. So substitution of the son, service of the warrior, and now the summons of a king. Look with me in verse 14. Now, After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now the language, the gospel here, uh, would have been recognized uh, as uh, by the Romans and the people of this first audience um, as something that is a language uh, uh, emperors used to talk about their noteworthy events or exploits. It's the uh, gospel, the euangelion, the good news. So if an emperor took over Palestine, for instance, you would send a messenger back to Rome and say, proclaim the euangelion, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good, good the good news. We won. Um, in their calendar, Emperor Augustus' birthday was marked as the beginning of the euangelion, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. The emperor is here. And Mark starts his gospel out with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for them, you're thinking at the beginning, oh, we're going to hear about an emperor, I guess. Or Mark would say, someone greater than the emperor is here. John the Baptist's preparation for Jesus goes along those same lines. Uh, Except he doesn't talk about an emperor, he talks about a God-king. He quotes a passage in Isaiah in which Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, speaks as king. And he says, I'm traveling through your region. And so you need to get it ready. Make a highway for me. It says, every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. Servants of the kings would do this when they were tra- on, traveling through a place. As you would fix all the, all the impurities and make a, make a nice level pathway for the king to you know, cruise through in and all, in in all of his uh, pomp. And God says, I am coming through. John the Baptist says I am the servant getting stuff ready and you are the mountains and valleys and crooked paths and rough places that need to get in line because the king of the universe God himself is coming and Jesus shows up and in verse 15 what does he say here times up the kingdom is at hand meaning the king is at hand repent and believe in the gospel Repent means turn, literally turn hundred degrees around. Turn from your life of sin and brokenness and believe that I am He. This is actually Mark's summary of Jesus' entire teaching throughout the gospel. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And for those who already believe, for the disciples of Jesus, the tense is actually present progressive here. Keep repenting and keep believing. Jesus is not calling you to a one time turning, but to a lifestyle of constant turning, daily turning. Keep repenting, keep believing. This is the summons of the King. Now, when I was in middle school, I went to Canterbury, and uh, I got a red card. All right. Um, How did I become a pastor after that? Red card is the worst thing you can get, okay? Uh, It was bad. I was in the, the locker room after gym. And I was sitting there, you know, just doing my normal thing, and I get hit with a pin in the back that someone had thrown across the room, missed the person they were aiming at, hit me instead. So naturally, as a middle schooler, I picked up the pin and launched it back as hard as I could in the direction from whence it came, and missed the guy who threw it and hit the wall and exploded black ink all over the pristinely white wall of this bathroom. So my most loyal friend, Eric, Speckard uh, said get out of here go I'll take care of this and he gets all these uh, paper towels and I see him out of the corner of my eyes I'm running out start wiping and just smearing it all over the wall trying to get it off uh, so I run to math class which is my next period of class and just sit down as if nothing happened you know and then in the middle of that period the principal opens the door peeks in and says Harrison I'd like to see you in my office I've been ratted out. Uh, I was summoned. I get there and he says, It's your last chance to come clean. What happened in that bathroom? So I told him and I got a red card and I had to clean it up and repaint over it after school. So to Mark's audience, he's not saying the principal is summoning you, he's saying someone much more powerful, the king of the universe, the ruler of the kingdom of God summons you, and the king says your time is up. The kingdom is here. It's your last chance. Repent and believe that I am he. And these, even 2,000 years later, are Jesus' words to us. Jesus says you've been summoned. This is urgent. Your life on earth is your last chance. It could end today. Don't wait. The judge is here The weight of eternity hangs in this moment for all of us. What will you do? The king has issued you a summons. Well, one thing is different about this summons than my situation uh, in middle school is it's a summons, but it's also a gospel. Uh, Good news. We're being called into the principal's office. We've totally destroyed the bathroom wall, but we're being summoned not for punishment. We're being summoned, and we're supposed to hear good news there. How does all that make sense? This is another question raised by chapter 1 that's answered in the rest of Mark. And you are so lucky to have gone through it in reverse, because now we know how all this makes sense. We saw this beloved, sinless Son of God, this King equipped powerfully by the Spirit, this undefeated warrior, We saw him set his face towards Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday on today, we saw him ride into Jerusalem like a humble king on a donkey into a city where all of his opposition was posed, poised against him. We saw him without protest be betrayed, arrested, abandoned by all of his friends, accused, tried, convicted as a criminal, tortured and killed on a cross. We saw him actually go through everything that the people deserved who were being baptized by John in chapter 1. You had greedy people who hoarded clothes and money in a really poor society. You had uh, soldiers who brutalized and took advantage of others. You had tax collectors who betrayed their people and made money off of the poor. And they deserve death and Jesus gets it instead. This is the substitution of the Son. But then this warrior rose from death, defeating it, defeating Satan, and issues a summons to the world, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom's at hand. You can have forgiveness and eternal life. It's a summons to good news. So today, at the end of this series on Mark, you're left with, This summons, how will you respond to the summons of the king? Will you for the first or for the thousandth thousandth time, will you accept his substitution on your behalf and let go of your shame and hiding for your sin? Will you accept his victory over evil and follow him to a daily death today? To obey his words for you today means dying in some way to yourself. Will you do that today? Will you repent, turn from your sin today, and believe in him instead, if it really means life everlasting? Jesus says the time's up. Don't wait till tomorrow. You may not have a tomorrow. Go to him today. The king summons you. Let's pray. Father, we um, hear your summons. And for many of us, there are things in our heart that come up, make us afraid to follow you, afraid to die even the small daily death or to, to face what these Coptic Christians face, to face a real death, or death of our reputation or of our friendships or um, of our pleasure or things that we hold to so tightly in this world. But Lord, there's good reason for us to do so. Lord, you've given us yourself, you've substituted yourself for us, you're a warrior you can give us victory, and Lord, you're a king who will rule us in heaven as we live with you. And so, Jesus, would you equip us this week, give us your spirit too, to be able to live this out with one another. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.